Would you open your Bibles to Psalm 139? Since this is our last session together, I want to just take this opportunity to express appreciation for uh, the privilege of being here. As I think someone said this is our seventh year here. I, I don't keep count on those things. But uh, it's always a privilege, it's always a joy to come here, not only to be involved with the Navigator Ministry, but also with Pastor Bill Vogler here and so many of you folks from Grace EPC. You're so hospitable, so gracious, and it's just always a delight to be here with you. I should tell you that uh, I get uh, Bill Vogler's tapes, and uh, I listen to his sermons, and I know where you are in First Peter, though, I guess I'm two or three weeks behind by the time we get to tapes. But when I listen to those tapes, I marvel that he would invite me to speak here on a Sunday morning. Uh, because you have, you're very fortunate in the man of God that you have who can expound to you the word of God in the way that he does. So, Bill, thank you very much for the privilege of being here. Psalm 139 Verses 13 to 16. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. A session, this final session, is faith in the providence of God. Uh, It's very interesting in the testimonies that were given, and I I think that um, the testimonies that were given illustrate the portion of the definition of faith that I have not covered and will not cover this morning, and that is obedience to the word of God. Because in each instance, you could see that the steps that they took uh, in obedience to what they felt God's will was for them involved trusting God for the outcome, for something beyond that. And I oftentimes say that there are many situations in which faith is expressed as obeying God and trusting him for the results. We see this, for example, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, which is a passage that was very instrumental in my own life in the decision to go to Europe a number of years ago as a single man. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he should have to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And the part that spoke to me from that passage was, by faith, Abraham obeyed. And as I looked at the... the um, ramifications of going to Europe as a single man, there were some obstacles, and God used that passage in my life by faith. Abraham obeyed, and so I obeyed by faith, and I think that that's, I hope that that's what you picked up from these testimonies this morning, where these young people took steps of faith and trusted God for the consequences, and they actually did things that were contrary to what human wisdom would actually do. Now, Trusting God and trust, obeying God and trusting Him for the results is, is a step. It's where we do something. 
trusting God in his providence is trusting him when we, when you might say something is done to us, or uh, events and circumstances occur in our lives over which we have no control. And I want to, first of all, clarify what I mean by the word providence. Now, providence normally has to do with God's sustaining his creation, caring for his creation. It's, uh, it's restraining evil. It's prompting people to do good. It's providing. It's, it's, you know, he causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust and all of these things. But I want to look at a, a very narrow meaning of providence this morning for the sake of this message. And I'm going to define God's providence as God's orchestrating ordinary circumstances to accomplish his purpose. God's orchestrating ordinary circumstances to accomplish his purpose. I want to distinguish God's providence from God's miracles. In miracles, God works contrary to his, the natural laws which he himself has, has established. And because he has established those laws, he's able to intervene and to do things contrary to those laws or do things completely outside of those laws. For example, the turning of water into wine is completely outside of the normal way that wine is made. Or walking on water, that's, that's altogether different from what we would experience in our ordinary lives. It's just... The, the laws that God has established does not allow us to walk on water. But God, since he established those laws in the first place, has perfect freedom to, to work contrary to and outside of those laws. And so it was no problem whatsoever for Jesus to turn the water into wine or to walk on the water or to feed 5,000 people with two fish and five barley cakes or all of these things. And these are miracles. Now, I'm not going to say that miracles do not happen today. And in fact, I understand that in uh, what we would call some of the more primitive areas of the world where the gospel is, is really just beginning to penetrate into the darkness of heathenism, that there are occurrences of miracles. And I, I accept that. But I also know just from my experience and from the experience of everybody I know that miracles are not an ordinary occurrence, not a usual occurrence within our culture and in our context. And so we are dependent on what we would call the providence of God, that is God orchestrating events uh, in, uh, that affect us. He orchestrates all events. I mean, everything, everything that's happening, every circumstance, every event that is happening at this precise moment in all of God's universe, not only here on this planet, but also out in the starry skies and those things, all of the all activities, all events are under the sovereign control of God at all times. But let's bring it down to ourselves. We're not so interested in what happens out at Jupiter or something like that, but we're very much interested in what happens to ourselves. And so we want to consider God's orchestrating the ordinary circumstances in our lives for our good and for his glory or to accomplish his purpose. There are many passages of scripture that we could look at to consider this subject this morning. But this is a passage that over the years has been very meaningful to me. And I believe it helps us. It gives us an entry into this whole idea of God's uh, orchestrating the ordinary circumstances of our lives 
for his glory and for our good. First of all, I want to just deal with a little. Well, I'm not going to deal with that right now. Wait, come to that. But first of all, we see in verse 13 that the psalmist says that God created his inward parts. Now, that doesn't refer to the internal organs, the liver and the kidneys and the heart and these things, but it refers to his inner being, the real you. What Paul says in Ephesians 3 that uh, about God might dwell in your inner being or you being strengthened in your inner being, your heart, the, the real you that exists inside of this physical body. And the psalmist is saying, you created my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, the knitting together in my mother's womb refers actually to the period, the nine month period when uh, the little baby is growing in the womb. And he's saying that God has superintended the beginning of that and oversees that. So what the psalmist is saying here is that God actually created you to be the person that he wants you to be. He determined your personality. He determined your physical makeup. He determined whether or not you have blue eyes or brown eyes, whether or not you're tall, whether or not you're muscular, all of these things. But he also determined your basic personality. Now, I, I want to underscore basic personality because all of our personalities are affected in a negative way by sin. And so we look at ourselves and we see certain personality characteristics that may not necessarily be the way that we were created by God because they have been affected by sin. But so our basic personality, whether or not you're an extrovert, an introvert, whether or not you are intellectual or more, uh, you know, uh, mechanically inclined or these kinds of things, all of those things are exist in your life because God created you that way. We all know that we have different intellectual abilities, different motor skills, different physical abilities. We have different personalities, all of these things. And the psalmist says that God determined these at our conception, really. Now, today, we know scientifically that all of these variations are determined genetically. But what this means, then, is that God, in his providence, orchestrated all of the genetics that, that come down to us that have determined our DNA. Uh, my wife read recently in some article that there are about 200, the uh, people who study these things have decided that there are about 200 people uh, in our ancestry that determines our genetic makeup. You know, two parents and four grandparents and eight great-grandparents. And, you know, you just have a kind of an inverse pyramid going out like this. And uh, they've said that there are about 200 of these people. And uh, you just do a little simple math in that. And it's about seven generations. And so basically what this passage would say to us as, as this passage relates to what these folks have determined is that God was orchestrating some 200 more or less people that determined your genetic makeup, that determined your DNA code. Now, that is absolutely no problem to God. That is simply a detail for God. And you and I, by faith, we need to believe that God has created us to be 
exactly the person that he wants us to be. Some of us uh, spend a lot of time wishing we were different from the way we are. I remember I was sharing at the breakfast table this morning that my older brother is, is still is six two, and uh, when I was growing up, I assumed that I would be tall like he, and um, eventually I realized that I had topped out at five nine and a half. I always had that half because when you that short that half inch is very important. <coughs> uh, but uh, the thing I had to come to terms with is that he is 6'2", and I'm 5'9 and a half, both from the same parents, both from, you might say, the same basic gene pool. And how that happened, I don't know, but God was orchestrating that. And I, I just use that kind of trivial example of, of my own life because it, you know, in the long run, particularly by the time you get to my age, it really doesn't make any difference how tall you are. There are a lot of other things in life that are much more important. But, uh, you know, as a teenager, that was very important. And as a young man, it was, was very important to me. And what I would, I, I did not know Psalm 139, 13 at that time. And so I struggled with the way that I was physically because I wanted to be something else. I wanted to be different than the way God had created me. And I, it never had occurred to me that I was the person that I was, all five, nine and a half uh, feet and so forth, um, because God created me exactly as he wanted me to be. And so now I can accept myself as God made me and not waste time wishing that I were different either in personality or physical makeup and appearance or even natural endowments or spiritual giftedness, all of the things that describe each one of us not spend time wishing that I were different in some way because now I am confident that God in his sovereignty and in his sovereign orchestration of all of the genetics and so forth made me to be the, exactly the person that he wanted me to be. Secondly, not only can I accept myself, but I realize that I am the person that I am as far as mental abilities personality, physical, and so forth, because that's what God has given me as a stewardship. Now, a stewardship means a trust. In other words, God has given me a trust. He has given me a life to live, if you please, and he has created me exactly as he wanted me to be, to live that life that he has planned for me. And so I need to realize that what I have, not only do I need to accept by faith, but also I need to regard as a stewardship and to use whatever God has given to me to accomplish his purposes. I remember some years ago, I think it was about 10 years ago, I was invited to speak at a Campus Crusade Christmas conference. And this is a conference that's held, actually it used to be between Christmas and New Year's, but now they've moved it up to the I think it's the first week after New Year's. But uh, there were two plenary speakers. I was to be the morning speaker, and there was another man brought in to be the evening speaker. This man was 6'2". Remember that key figure? He was 6'2". He was handsome. I am not. He was a starting quarterback on a university 
a Division I-A university football team. I never made the starting lineup in high school. I mean, there couldn't have been more differences. He was very confident. I was intimidated by these 2,000 college students, so forth. The contrast could not have been greater. And yet, God used both of us. He used this man who physically, you might say, had all the tools, and he also used me, who didn't have the tools. See, I'm Worm Jacob. See, remember that? I don't have the tools. But God used both of us. And so God is not limited to the person that we are. God has, but he has created us to, to be and to accomplish that which he has planned for us. The second thing that we read in this passage of Scripture is not only that God created us to be the person that he wanted us to be, but in verse 16, the psalmist says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Let me deal here with a possible textual problem. I don't know if any of you have the King James Version but if you do have the King James Version, you know that it does not read exactly as I have just read it to you. The, the idea is that God has ordained the various parts of the body. But let me just assure you, if you have King James Version, that in all of the reliable recent translations, including the New King James Version, that the reference there is not to one's body parts, but to the days that were formed for us. In other words, uh, that God has ordained the circumstances and the events of all of our days when as yet there were none of them. God not only planned, and going back seven generations, if you please, and planned us to be exactly the person that he wanted us to be as we came out of our mother's womb, but he also planned the days that he ordained for us. God has a distinct plan for each of us in sending us into this world. And this plan embraces not only his original creation of us, but also the family into which we were born, the economic and social setting. It includes all of life's up and downs, all of the seemingly chance, random uh, happenings that occur to us, all of the sudden and unexpected turns of events, both the so-called good and the so-called bad. In other words, the providence of God teaches us that there is nothing in our lives and in our individual lives that is outside of the control of our sovereign God. Now, here's where it's important that we go back to the message, the second message of last night, and to realize our standing and our status before God. Because so oftentimes when adverse circumstances come into our lives, we think, oh, God is judging me. God is allowing this to happen because uh, I told a lie last month. There's something like that, see. And, and our, our default setting, that is our natural tendency, is to look at these adverse circumstances in terms of God's judging us. Let me say to you, God judged your sin 2,000 years ago on the cross. Now, the scripture is very clear that God disciplines, but he disciplines as a father he does not punish as a judge. And this is where it's very important that we realize both our standing of, of being justified, of being declared righteous before God, 
and the fact that our sin has been dealt with, our sin has been forgiven, that we have moved from a standing before God as judge to being one of his adopted sons. And we saw not only that in our standing before God that we are righteous, but that, that he is our father. He has accepted us into his family. He has adopted us. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can call out uh, in the cry of a small child, a child of trust. And so when we're in these adverse circumstances, we should remember that the one who controls, who, uh, in his providence, controls every circumstance in our lives is our loving Heavenly Father. Do you remember last night that I said two, there are two reasons why we can, uh, primarily two reasons why we can doubt the love of God. One is because of our sin and the other is because of difficult circumstances that we're going through. And our status as justified, as righteous in the sight of God should address that first question of doubt. And our status as his adopted sons being loved by him and our being able to call out to him and to trust him should address that second issue. If, you know, if God really loved me, why would all of these things happen? And so if we are going to live a, a life of joy and a life of contentment with God, we have to come to the place where we believe we have faith in the providence of God that is, that we believe that God is, in fact, controlling and orchestrating all of the events in our lives. I think I mentioned in the first session this morning that I find myself going back to Psalm 139, 16. So often when circumstances are going at cross purposes to that which I wish. But it's also helpful in order for me to to live in the present and to realize that the events and the circumstances of today have been orchestrated by God, to go back and to see how God has orchestrated the events and circumstances in my own life, in my past history. I think I referred last night to the fact that when I was talking about our image of a father, how that, that I never doubted my parents' love, and we had a wonderful family life, uh, but we, I did grow up in the Depression years, my dad had a job barely, and by that I mean he barely made enough money to keep food on the table and so forth. And uh, there, was, there was no extra money to go around. And when I came to my senior year in high school, and uh, this was uh, back in the dark ages before they had student loans and scholarships, and I'm sure they had scholarships, but I didn't know about them. We didn't have guidance counselors in high school in those days. You're strictly on your own. And uh, so I'm into my senior year, and I'm thinking about, you know, how am I going to get a college education? I'd done enough construction work in the summer times to realize that I, you know, I would be out digging a ditch, and I'd see this civil engineer in his starched khakis, and I thought, I want to be that guy, you know. So I was highly motivated to go to college. Um, but how am I going to pay for it? And in about January of my senior year, one evening, I happened to be reading our local paper. And uh, buried in the middle of this paper, there was a single column, uh, you know, a column in, in the paper about four inches long. So four column inches. 
and it was just a short, a short article uh, describing a new program that the U.S. Navy was instituting of sending students to civilian universities uh, to get their university education and also Navy training because they needed more Navy officers than, than the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland could produce. So, so they wanted to supplement this, and so they had come up with this program of sending qualified students to civilian universities and, and training them to be Navy officers. And uh, so, you know, this looked good to me, and so the very next day I was in the Navy recruiting officer's office the afternoon after school, and he gave me the paperwork to fill out and so forth. And to make a long story short, I was accepted into the program. And so I, my college education was totally provided for me by Uncle Sam. You kids understand Uncle Sam, U.S. You know. uh, basically, I tell you that because I use that expression a few months ago, and these students scratched their heads and said, what's Uncle Sam? You know, but um, So I try to remember to say the government. Okay, so I have my college education. That's all taken care of. But I have to repay the government for my education, which means I have obligated service and active duty out in the Navy for a certain period of time. And six months with, into that obligated period of service, I met another Navy officer who introduced me to the navigators. And so you see, God not only orchestrated, I mean, he caused me to see that article. Now, the fact that a 17-year-old high school senior was reading the newspaper might be a miracle. <coughs> but apart from that, <coughs> you know, you can see God orchestrating all of these circumstances to provide not only my education, but through that, to bring me into contact with the organization which was his plan for my life. In this July, I will observe 50 years service with the navigators. But you see, it all began, I mean, it probably began before that, but it began that one January night when I was a high school senior when I read that small article. And then I met this, this fellow Navy officer and uh, he told me something about the navigators, and it just, it just simply didn't make sense. But again, in the providence of God, God orchestrating circumstances, the very next week, I'd met him at a Christian meeting. And the very next week, my ship sent me to a two-day seminar, radar seminar, and his ship sent him to a two-day sonar seminar. Radar is up in the air, sonar is down under the water. And uh, our, our classes were side by side at this particular building. And so uh, we happened to bump into each other, so to speak, out in the hallway. And so this time he said to me, uh, would you like to go with me to a navigator Bible study? Now, again, what are the navigators? You know, he had told me something about the navigators the week before, but it didn't make sense. But the fact is that... Uh, in the summer between my junior and senior years and what we call our senior cruise, I met a, a, another man in the Navy and he said to me, have you ever memorized scripture? And I said, well, I've tried a few times but I've never had any success at it. He said, write to the navigators and ask them for the topical memory system. And he gave me the address. 
So when I got back to school for my senior year, I did, in fact, write to the navigators, and I got this topic of memory system, and I actually went through it during my senior year. Now, I tell you that to say that you see when he said to me, would you like to go with me to a navigator's Bible study? I probably would have said, what's that? Except for the fact that 18 months before, somebody else had said to me, have you ever tried memorizing scripture? And he said, write to the navigators. And so because I had this introduction to the navigators through the topic of memory system, when this Navy officer said to me, would you like to go to a navigator Bible study? It clicked and I went. And I was hooked, so to speak. And I've been going ever since. And I stood up a while ago when Matt asked the people who had been ministered to by the navigators. But what I want you to see here is how God orchestrates the events in our lives to bring us into the path and to keep us going along the path that he has marked out for us. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, obviously, this illustration of how God in his providence worked it out, arranged things so that I received a free university education, how that this required obligated military service, and through that, how I met the navigators and how I've spent the last 50 years on the staff of the navigators, I, how God has arranged all of these things. But the fact is, there are also difficult, negative circumstances and so we ask ourselves, what does the Bible have to say to us here? Well, Psalm 139, 16 says, All of these days, the difficult days, as well as the good days, but all of the days were ordained for me before one of them came to be. God marked out your path in life. He created you the way you are to be the person that he wants you to be, and he led you and has led you up to this point. And for those of you who are students, you know, you're, you still have supposedly a number of years ahead of you. But God has been leading you. And, and some of us who are a little bit older, we can look back and we can say God has led in my life. And these are the ways that he has led. But whether you're young and you're looking forward to it or we're older and looking back, we can say that God has ordained all the days for us that he had in mind for us. In order, order for us to rest on this, we have to believe, we have to have faith in the fact that God is a God of providence. That is, that God does control all of the events and circumstances of his creation and that he orchestrates the events and circumstances of his creation to fulfill his purposes. God. Excuse me, God has a purpose not only for you and me individually, but he has a purpose for all of his creation. God is driving all of creation to an ultimate purpose. And God is orchestrating all of the events along the way, moment by moment, to, to bring that to the ultimate conclusion that he has for us. And you and I are part of that. And so, because God is orchestrating all events, obviously, if all events includes the events that pertain just to you and me individually. And when times are difficult, 
we have to believe that God is in fact orchestrating these events. And we also have to believe that because he is our father, that he has brought us into a sonship relationship with him, that he is in ways that we do not understand, working these events and circumstances out for our good. Now, the Apostle Paul states this very clearly in Romans 8.28, where he says, we know that all things work together for good, or as one of the alternate translations has it, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And however, and there's some discussion about what the Greek really is saying there, but whatever the Greek is saying, we know that things do not work out. I mean, circumstances just uh, do not have minds of their own. So things do not work out. But God causes all things, God causes all circumstances, both the good and the bad, to work together for our good. But the good uh, is explained or clarified in the next verse where Paul says that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good that God has in mind for us. And this good will entail what we would consider good circumstances and bad circumstances in our lives. And by good circumstances, I mean circumstances that if the choice were left up to us, we would choose those circumstances. I mean, I would choose to find that article about the Navy College program. I would choose to meet this man who introduced me to the navigators and so forth. But there are other things, you know, if left up to ourselves, we, we would not choose. And that's what I mean by the good and the bad. It's not bad from God's point of view, but it's just by bad I mean those circumstances which we would not choose. But Paul tells us that God causes all of these things to work together for our good. Now I would like to make just one application along the lines of obedience, by faith obeying God. And I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul writes, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. I don't think Paul is saying give thanks for the circumstance, but give thanks in the circumstance that God is using or is going to use the circumstance for our good. But what I want to call your attention to here is he says, for this is the will of God. That is, it's not the circumstance that's the will of God, but that we are to give thanks. That is the will of God. It's the moral will of God. If uh, my Bible, you just look across at the opposite page, but whether, however it is in your Bible, if you'll turn to chapter 4 and verse 3, in the context of sexual purity, the Apostle Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, we understand very clearly that Paul there is speaking about the moral will of God. He says it's the moral will of God that we abstain from sexual immorality. And he uses exactly 
the same expression where he says, for this is the will of God that we give thanks in all circumstances. In other words, that is a moral will of God. It is the will of God that we abstain from sexual immorality, and it is the will of God that we give thanks in all circumstances. This is where we can, by faith, obey. How can I give thanks in the circumstance when the circumstance is totally cross-purposes to that which I would uh, vote for if I had a choice in them? When circumstances come into my life that I desperately wish were different, how can I give thanks in that? Well, I go back to Romans 8, 28 and 29. And I believe, you see, that is a factual statement in Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for our good. That, that is not a promise. It's not a command. It's a factual statement. But remember, in my definition that I'm proposing, uh, what I'm proposing is a definition of faith that is, first of all, a firm belief in the Word of God. And so I have to firmly believe, by faith, that God does cause all events in my life to work together for my good. And having believed that factual statement, then I'm in a position to, by faith, obey this moral command to give thanks in those circumstances. So you can see here how that all of these believing in, relying upon, and obeying the word of God all sort of come together. This is how we live a life of faith. This is how uh, faith can express itself in our everyday lives as we trust God in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. When I was doing working on preparing these messages uh, before, I came across a quote in uh, one of John Calvin's commentaries. In fact, it's his commentary on the book of Genesis, but the quote is not from John Calvin, but rather it's a footnote quote by the editor of the works of John Calvin and the commentaries. And this man wrote these words, God's usual manner of testing the faith of his people is by causing the outworking of his providence to apparently contradict his word. God's usual method of testing the faith of his people is by causing the outworking of his providence, apparently, to contradict his word. In other words, God loves me, but these circumstances just scream out that God doesn't love me. And that's what he means by saying that the the outworking of his providence to apparently contradict his word. And then he says, and requiring them, that's you and me, requiring us still to rely upon that word, notwithstanding the apparent inconsistency. Now, let me read that to you again, because it's a little bit difficult to grasp. The, just I would probably write it a little differently, but um, that's his choice of words. But let me say it again. God's usual manner of testing the faith of his people is by causing the outworking of his providence apparently to contradict his word and requiring his people still to rely upon that word notwithstanding the apparent inconsistency. 
In other words, God's word, the promises in God's word, trumps our circumstances. But so oftentimes we live in just the opposite way. We let our circumstances trump the promises of God's word. And so if you and I are going to learn to live by faith, if we are going to experience faith for our everyday life, we have to learn to trust in God's providence and to realize that ultimately that God's providence is not inconsistent with his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you today that you are in sovereign control of every event in all of your creation and every event of each of our individual lives. And we thank you, Father, that you are not only sovereign, the sovereign God, but you are our loving Heavenly Father who have justified us and adopted us as sons into your family. I pray that you would enable us to grow in our faith in the way that you work in our lives, in your providence in our lives, and to see every event, both what we would call good and what we would call bad, as coming from your wise and loving and powerful hand. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you once again for the privilege of being with you.